Hey guys, uh, sorry we're a little bit late. Uh, one of our co-casters apparently probably fell asleep on the couch or his bed or whatever and is dead to the world. So I found the replacement guest. Uh, this week, as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Gathering Magic and CoolStuffInc.com, who have provided us with gift certificates to give away this week. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a 25% buy list bonus, and their ever-popular customer rewards program, Cool Stuff Inc. is the store for all your Magic the Gathering needs. So joining me today this this uh, fine Monday night is the ever-popular Travis Allen. And our guest this week is Jason Alt, because we got Commander spoilers today. And if there's one person that I know that likes to talk about Commander about as much as I do, it's probably Jason. Boy, we could not have asked for a uh, a better week to be at a crisis for cast members, could we? Uh, I mean, we we could have been on like Tuesday, so we got like two decks worth of stuff. But yeah, I, I this is pretty much the best week for for people to be gone. I'm wondering what the reprints are. Well, we got one of them, right? It was Sets Tiger. Sets Tiger, sure. I think I think Rox is in. I think. No, non-foil Raksha is going to be there. I, I would 100% agree with you, too. The equipment theme, like, it has to be a Raksha and Kemba, right? Like, they just have to be in this deck? Yeah, Kemba, it's got to be yeah. one of them, yeah. I guess Kemba maybe maybe feels like it fits a little better. I don't know. I feel yeah, like I you know. Raksha is just such a bad commander when people are still occasionally building around it. The thing, like, having a seven-mana commander and playing it and just, like, having it get paths just feels really bad. Because coughing up nine mana in a deck where you're trying to be aggro just feels really bad. I like it a lot more just in, like, somewhere in the uh, in the deck. But as a commander, it, like, only 46 people registered a Raksha deck on EDH Rec, and I think there's a pretty good reason for that compared to 1,100 Kemba decks. So, I, uh, yeah, I think... Maybe the the foils will pay off. Maybe not, but I uh, I definitely have a good feeling about a lot of those legendary cats um, making the the list. Stuff like Leon and Shikari makes sense to to reprint Leon and a bonus. So it it really just depends what they decided to uh, to put in there. Yeah, I I think um, you're completely right that it hurts to run her as a commander. Uh, but she seems really good in the 99, right? Like where you're casting her, getting her benefit, and then if she dies, she dies. I mean, and maybe. It's, it's almost just as good as playing something like Overrun, really. So if you just save up seven mana to just play that and then you attack, especially if they're having a hard, a hard time blocking, like uh, we'll see a little later. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely like, this card costs one less mana than Crater Hoof Behemoth, and you're already playing that other color. Like, how much how much better is it really going to be? Well, you you play both, wouldn't you? It's on I mean, team. maybe, maybe. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not excited by a seven mana three four. But I've I've had this discussion before. I don't I don't know if uh, Raksha is actually very good. Well, I mean, I, I think it's it's in some decks, you know? Like, you have like 46 people building Raksha as the deck versus 1,100 building Kemba, but like Raksha's at least included, you know, sure. in some of those decks. Like, yeah. if you look at how at Kemba decks, uh, Raksha's in like over half of them. 
So it's it's it is whatever. It's just like another Eldrazi monument effect. That uh, that Mirius is pretty good. I don't. I think it's easy to glaze over how strong she is, but like it's you can ridiculous. attack with your entire team, and they still only get to block with one creature. And then yeah, you so don't, if you're going you get, tokens, you don't get paid on the back swing. It's ridiculous. It's a it's a like dueling grounds plus better, like a one sided dueling grounds plus a one sided crawl space. I kept reading and rereading this card to make sure I wasn't making a mistake. Like this is Miri Weatherlight Duelist is absurdly powerful. I I definitely agree. I think this is probably the best card that's been spoiled power level wise. Um, the fact that it's legendary and the fact that it's the same colors as Sasay is also kind of gross because that's just <laughs> another bullet that they can tutor up, but that deck was already just pretty obnoxious to begin with. So I don't know. I, I'm like, I think that that might be one of the most expensive commanders to come out of this set because it doesn't need cats to be good. And it's just good in every deck that plays green and white. Man, if they put nature's will in that deck, I'm going to be so annoyed. Oh, I know. I uh, I don't know if there's enough token production based on what we've seen. Like, so far, the only new card that produces tokens is Hungry Links, and you don't even get them. So, I... Because I, how, how bad tokens are with Arabo, which really rewards you for stacking up all your stuff on one creature. Yeah. Um, it looks like, yeah, you could do like a token sub theme with Miri, but like I don't think you're getting much help from the precon. I think it's just like, hey, I put Erebo's bonus on Ball and Wandering Night and swung for thirty. Well you know which is... one Nature's Will is, right? Yeah, it's the one where a, a creature hits him and uh, you untap all your stuff. Yeah, so you don't like even need to be tokens. Just with Miri, if you just swing with like two creatures, you're guaranteed to connect with one of them basically. Yeah. So I mean, just it's really easy to trigger. It, like it's really easy to use in a non-token deck because of Miri. I, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. If they're having a hard time blocking for whatever reason, I just I see you're right. I mostly see Nature's Will and just uh, decks that go wide because you're like pretty much guaranteed to hit them. Yeah, but now it's like, oh, you don't have to be wide. You just don't let them block. I mean, it's also pretty reasonable, like. This deck is probably going to have a bunch of equipment in it. Like, it could have a Whisper Silk Cloak or you well, know, any number two, of things. Yeah, it's got two brand new equipment. Yeah, like, I really you... like the hammer. I think the hammer is probably going to be one of the best equipment. Just in oh, it's, Commander. It's so good on Miri, too. Like, you can swing with Abandon if you know it's indestructible, and basically you're, they can, like, path it and stuff like that, but they, they can't just be like, all right, that's the one creature I'm going to block, because even if they do, it doesn't die. So you get to have your Miri tapped on your turn because it survived combat, plus you get the uh, the bonus from attacking with it. Yeah, it's funny that you guys say that, because I think, I mean, on Miri in that scenario, it's good. Just like Darksteel Plate or Whisper Silk Cloak or any of those are. I But I think that that, art, that equipment and the commander that goes along with it seem really bad, right? Like... You're paying six mana. You get what a seven five or a seven four. That's it's indestructible. A five four. Five. Yeah, oh, you, wait, once you, you throw it on there, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like a seven four that taps a creature when you attack, and it's indestructible for six mana. Like it's not bad, but like if that's what you're like, that creature just with that mana cost with that effect is like mediocre. But now it's your commander. I don't know. It doesn't really do much for me. I, I mean, you're. You got access to Stoneforge Mystic and Stonehewer Giant and stuff like that. Like, 
Nazan is just like, it's like, all right, it's a Godo without Godo's second ability. I so, guess. But wouldn't you like almost just rather have that one that pays two mana and sucks up every piece of equipment? Like you're bound to get indestructible and more than seven power there, and that commander just seems better overall. There's no shortage of equipment tutors in those colors. It's not like you're going to be struggling to search for that stuff. Uh, yeah, but you could just play both. Yeah, I mean, I think this well, goes to the deck. Nazan's not great. See, the thing about the precons is uh, there's something called the precon effect that was like a, a term we kind of coined over at EDH Rec when we were noticing that there was stuff that was in the precon that was just good enough not to take out, and there was a high degree of synergy. So when people like looked at the precon list or busted the precon and they registered their deck on tapped out, if they thought Nazan was like not ideal and they wouldn't have put it in if they started from zero cards and built up to 100, you know, it probably might have made the cut. But since they started with the precon, took 25 cards out and put 25 cards in, it seems good enough not to cut. So I think this, like, will just make decks just because, like, oh, this is good enough to play. And uh, I think that'll artificially inflate the amount it gets played. I think that's something to, to be wary of. Well, that's interesting that you phrase it like that because that means it will look like it has a really high played percentage, at least at the start, but it also yeah. means nobody's buying them because the people that are playing it are the ones who got it, but there aren't that many people out there who are going like, oh, I need to add this to my deck. So, yeah, and I, th I think the pre-con effect is less relevant for the finance people. It's more relevant for the just EDH rec deck building community, just something like... Well, I didn't think Nazan was that good, but I see it's in all these decks, so I guess I play it. But in sure. reality, it's really, it's really just not. It's just good enough not to cut for something else, but that doesn't mean it should be in the deck. Yeah, especially if you don't have like a deep library of cards to choose from, and you're like, well, I would replace it with this, but I don't have the money. And I mean, the equipment sub theme is going to give you a lot of options for cards that are cool but expensive, you know, like the swords and those types of things. So that's why it might get stuck in there because they can't afford the card that they want to replace it with. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the same thing. Like if you look at the Atraxa decks, I don't need the Atrax. Some of them are still playing Thurming Bird, Fathom Mage, and Master Biomancer, which are like fine cards and probably not worth cutting but like definitely not the topest tier of cards that you could be playing in, in an Atraxa deck like yeah. the plus one plus one counter theme is like significantly less interesting and usually less good than like infecting people or playing a bunch of planeswalkers yeah and thrumming birds just sort of gets outclassed super quickly but it's just one of those it's good enough if the other four decks you're playing against are also the precons <laughs> you know, but like, it, it, you're not going to include Thrumming Bird into Traxa deck if you start from zero cards. You see, that's funny that you say that because I actually, you know, I haven't built a Traxa, but I actually really like Thrumming Bird in that deck in theory because it's it's cheap to play, right? Like, um, you can play it on turn two in, in a lot of EDH decks, at least the ones I build, sometimes are struggling to find cheap plays, uh, so, which means not only can you play early, you can slot it in, in extra turns later. Um, you know, flyers are, are common, but there are, there's almost always every point in every game, someone who doesn't have a flyer. So I feel like you get the free chips in. They also like you as a one, one, you might be able to pass through people into letting you hit them because it's not dealing that much damage. If you just need to proliferate trigger and the deck also seems like it's really hungry for proliferate triggers. So like anywhere that you can find them is worth it, uh, because you get so much value out of every single one of them. But again, I've never built this, so I don't actually know. 
I mean, that's that's certainly possible. It just it feels like it gets. I don't know. It's, like I feel like every really, time I would play a throwing bird, they would play a trigon predator or something. Yeah, it's it's like it's like great on turn two, but like super miserable on turn fifteen. So you usually want to have your cards do something in both situations, and that card just is just so bad later in the game that you might as well just not have drawn it. Like it might as well have just been a land a lot of the times. You just got to go ham with Contagion Engine, and they can't block it. I mean, they just have to play a creature that just doesn't like you can't. Contagion Engine only puts stuff on the first time you play it, and then it doesn't put any more on. So if they just play another guy afterwards, then it just that that one doesn't die. Right, right, right. I gotcha. Yeah, it's it's in theory it looks really good. In practice, it feels not as great. But I think that attracts is one of those decks where like. Like probably half of the people started with just the Atraxa, and the other half of the people still have Throwing Bird in their deck. That's okay. that's how that game did be there. But uh, I think there's like there's also some other pretty like reasonable cards. I think the Stalking Leonin is really it's such a good flavorful card. First of all, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like it, I feel like it, it it looks much better than actually people think it is, and. Um, people like on Twitter I've seen talking about it and like playing it maybe in Legacy because it's a three mana three three that can just kill one of your opponents attacking guys. I don't think that's probably good enough, but like the the fact that it's like a three mana three three that also is a removal spell at most points in the game leads me to believe that this is the kind of card that'll see a lot of play outside of cat decks. Like it's the kind of card that you could just slot into pretty much anything that has any kind of blink synergies, and you just get to shoot down your opponent's guys pretty easily. Like, all they have to do is attack you. That's a pretty big, like, reason not to even attack you with any of your creatures at all. Yeah, why take the risk when there are other people at the table to attack? Like, this is worse in 1v1 just because, like, all right, you know, it's uh, it's like an O-ring, but in EDH, this could, like, prevent people that you didn't secretly choose from bothering to attack you just because they don't want to risk losing a good creature. It, it also, I think this is very good. It is very. It is a really good rattlesnake. I think the number of times you actually have to exile that creature, like you guys said, are close to zero because how many board states are people not going to know what you're attacking them with? Or like know that they are the one that you pegged, right? Like again, in all of my games, if I were to cast this card, there's all almost always one person who is clearly going to be picked, who's going to be picked, and it's like, well, he's going there. He's going to know and the other two aren't going to care because it's they're not going to think it was them. Yeah, that's a good point. I like this with Eldrazi Displacer. Like being able to reset this yeah. seems good, because you don't that's sacrifice true. it. You just you just exhaust it. It's one time you can play it. Right. So, uh, so blinking it seems really cool. Yeah, it'll it'll fit. I'll, I might try fitting it into my Brago deck too, just to see how it plays. I mean, that's like the best kind of commander to, to play it in, like Brago or uh, Rune. Like pretty much any any commander that works out with blinking its other permanents. It seems yeah. it seems really good. Oh, yeah. I really like Eldrazi Displacer with a lot of these. Like, all of the ways I would build a deck out of this precon, I think Eldrazi Displacer is real good. You, you know, you you blink the the Nazan, you blink your Regal Caracal, you blink you blink, uh, you know, Thalia's Lancers or Stoneforge Mystic or Stonehewer Giant or, you know, anything like that. It's good with I mean, the stalking. You, can just, you can just blink the the Pride Sovereign so that it's not uh, it's not exerted. The it's next not turn. exerted. Yeah. Yeah, that card. Uh, that card is sick. I've been telling people to buy foils of that for quite a while now because it is uh, it's good stuff. 
and it still hasn't really gotten much ahead of uh, ten or eleven dollars, but I think we're we're on track for it for sure. So I, I guess like if we're gonna pick one card that is probably not going to be in this deck, and probably a lot of people are gonna want to play, I think Eldrazi Displacer is probably where you want to be. Like it's a card that's about to rotate too. Like people are gonna be wanting to get rid of it. I think this might be a thing that you're pretty easily able to get at your local game store. People that just don't want their cards that are rotating soon. I would love if this dipped at rotation. I don't know that it will, but uh, I would love if it did. Yeah, that's that's a tricky one because I agree completely that Eldrazi Displacer fits really well in these decks, but at the same time, I don't know if people are really going to get on that boat, like if they're going to realize that that's what they should play and then buy it. Like, is that a bridge too far for the people who are building cat tribal decks to like realize that blink effects are very good and they should be playing Eldrazi Displacer because it blinks creatures? I don't know. I don't have enough vision on the casual EDH market to like know if that's a conclusion they will arrive at. I feel like if you bring it to the like, it's it's once it's come to somebody's attention and they see it in action is when it starts to get into people's minds. Like just using Eldrazi Displacer on Miri taps it so that you get to not get attacked that much the next turn, and then you could displace the one guy they they can attack you with. Oh. Like yeah, it's just, it's you, just all sorts of busted in this deck. Oh uh, man, if you can't attack with Miri, you just blink her so that nobody else can attack you. <laughs> yeah, so because Eldrazi Displacer doesn't just blink it; it puts it back right. Like, right, and then you can catch their one creature that attacks. That is so good. <laughs> yeah, so you have six mana. You can't be attacked, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty spicy. I, and I, I, I think uh, I think your mana base doesn't really suffer that much because I think you play a lot of lands that tap for True Colorless. So yeah. I don't I don't think you're going to really... This doesn't make it a three-color deck, really. Because you're going to be playing Gavany Township and Brushland and, you know, all kind of stuff like that. So wait, what's the ruling on that, by the way? Like, if I play a Actar Wastes... Or no, let's not, let's not use that one. If I run a Hallowed Fountain in my green-white deck, does that now tap for white one. and waste? You can't, you can't do you that. You can't put that. it in your deck? Yeah. No, you can so play a Flooded Strand, but you can't play a Hallowed Fountain. So they recently changed the rule. It used to be that if you made colored mana that your deck couldn't wasn't in your commander identity, it would change to colorless. Now it's just that color. Oh, that okay. That's how yeah. They so if you have, so the the thing that people were trying to do is like play dark stealing it because that's a card you can play in any deck, but it can make you can use it to tap for colors mana outside of your colors commander's identity. But you they didn't want you to make colorless with that, so that that rule doesn't exist anymore, really. Okay. But there's still like a lot of really good colorless signs. Like if you just play the desert cards that we have in standard right now, like those are just reasonably priced replacements for a forest and a plains. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's plenty of ways to find that colorless mon, especially all the artifact mana you're likely to be playing anyways. You know, how many decks aren't running Soul Ring and a Signet and Thran Dynamo and Guild of the you know, all those types of guys. I guess not. I was going to say, half of those make colored mana, but we were, we were in the right... Grand Dynamo, right. yeah, Soul Rings, yeah. Whatever. Mindstone, stuff like that. Yeah. I, I kind of like those, uh, those that whole cycle of one, two, and three mana producing uh, artifacts that you can sack to draw cards later. Uh, which one? The, not it's the like Mindstone, then there's like... Hedron Archive. Hedron Archive is six three. mana attached for three, I think. And then there's one that costs four mana attached for two. Oh yeah, yes. 
Mindstone, Hedron Archive, and uh, crap. Dreamstone Hedron? That's the one. Dreamstone yeah. Hedron. Yeah, those, yeah are, those are all good. I remember putting uh, Hedron Archive underneath a prototype portal. <laughs> and just <laughs> that was fun. That was a fun game. You're the reason why people have to play Bane of Progress in their deck. Well, I did lose that game, so <laughs> it was, was cool when that was happening when I did lose. Well, you had such I a fat know. hand when you lost. Probably, probably, probably. But that was due to my salt allergy. Um, I mean, <laughs> what else jumps out at you from this, Jason? I like Hungry Lynx quite a lot. Um, uh, rat players are like, why do they have rat hosers? I'm like, you're in black. If you can't kill a 2-2... I don't know what to tell you. Rat players? Uh, there are rat players? Oh, yeah. Rats are a really popular tribe. Have you ever heard of the card Relentless Rats? Well, like, I'm aware of that, but, like, enough players that there are people who are like, oh, I am a rat player. This is how I identify in commanders. Yeah. I mean, they be, usually just play Marinar and they think that they're cool or something. Yeah. But, like, yeah, a lot more people have rat decks than have cat decks right now, so... Well, people are uh, upset about. Well, like, I mean, there's a non-zero number of people that are like, yeah, but I'm like, yeah, you can, you you should be able to kill a a grizzly bear, but like, I really like the uh, the politics associated with giving another player a one-one death touch that doesn't affect you, but could like, you know, hurt other players. So like, it's it's not a drawback. It's not like a hunted creature. It's something that you give to somebody to, you know curry some favor with them. I, I kind of like everything this card does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like the idea that there are rat players out there who have like their own forum and they're like their own social media space and they're like the rat players and like they have their main website they go to and it's like the swarmyard.com and like they they call them, you know, they're some like their moderators are called Mickey Mice or like, you know, Mouseketeers and that type of thing. There's a rich vein there for people and I hope they're taking advantage of it. I yeah, if like their site isn't called the Swarm Yard, then like they should just—they're messing up too bad. They should just quit. It's too much of a missed opportunity. Somebody's driving around in their like 1997 Toyota Corolla, and the license plate says "Relentless," but there's no ease in it. It's just relentless. Yes, probably. <laughs> All right, so let's let's take a take a step back from the cat deck. What other cards do you think are going to be things that people will be looking for for the other decks? Like, for well, example, I think I think that a card that's definitely not going to be in the dragon deck, but is definitely going to be a card that people are going to want, is uh, sneak attack. Uh, it's a you know a, a lot of dragons have on attack abilities or on damage to player abilities, and not having to pay full retail on your guy so you can blow up somebody's board seems like pretty much the best thing you could be doing. And it's not like Scion decks aren't aware of sneak attack. You know, it's it's uh it's not in the top cards, but it's something they're playing. And I think the fact that it used to be more expensive than it is, I think some people might look up sneak attack and be like, oh, this costs way less than I thought. You know, what's the buy-in on that though these days? Is it like thirty? No, I think it's it's much less than that. I'm looking it up right now. It's like twenty bucks on uh, Card Kingdom. It's not bad. I'm 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 a little bit at 18. 18. It's not bad. 
something as good as it is in a deck with like all your creatures are expensive like Kalia or Scion. Xenagos decks really like it. It's also an Eternal Masters Mythic Rare. Like how many of those like there's there's probably a bunch of unopened product of that, but like how often are we gonna see it reprinted, really? Oh I didn't realize that was a mythic. Yeah, it's a mythic. Hmm. Is that Ed that just joined? Oh, Jeremy joined? Can you guys even hear me? Yeah. Hear you. Unfortunately, no yeah. yeah. You're a slow ring. All right. Okay. Well, Jason's got to go. It was good to see you, Jason. Sorry you couldn't see Yeah, sorry that Jeremy showed up, so I have to leave. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if my internet connection will hold up the entire time. Well, that's every week, isn't it? Yeah. No, that's, that's um, usually my job. What are we talking about? Sneak attack and uh, how good it is in the dragon's deck. We sort of exhausted uh, the conversation about all the cat cards, and now we've sort of moved on to stuff we don't expect to be printed in the other decks, but it'll be good. Is that a good summary, Jim? Is that where we're at? I think so. We, we have uh, established that Eldrazi Displacer is probably going to be one of the better cards you can get for the cat deck, despite not actually being a cat itself. So sneak attack's like 15 bucks, right, for the dragon deck if it doesn't get a reprint? And what? We're looking at what is selling like thirty bucks in the next uh, six months. Then, yeah, I think that's probably a fair target. I'm not in love with it. I think it's fine if you grab them and trade, but I probably wouldn't go buy any copies. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Do the the legacy duels going up signal that uh, we get some more legacy played? And if so, then I think uh, maybe sneak attack, which is a card that sort of got the reprint after it became unnecessary. Um, it, it's probably at its floor right now. So I, I think if more people play Legacy, that'll move the price whether or not Dragon players get on board. Duels yeah. were super hot this weekend at the Grand Prix. And uh, Sneak Attack was on two of the hot lists for uh, vendors as well. Not. I don't know if that's like a Conspiracy 2 versus Eternal Masters thing or not. I still think Legacy is dead. I don't What's know secrets? if it's super dead, but there's definitely more like top-level events next year, so we could see a small resurgence in prices for even like Tier 2 stuff because people don't want to buy you know, all the duels or whatever. Like, what? Sneaking Show only needs three, right? You only play three Volcanic Islands, and that's it? You play four. All right, whatever. Like, you could probably get away with just playing three, but... You know, it's it's just a four dual deck instead of like a soul tide deck where you probably play like seven or eight. Would we get one one extra legacy GP next year, right? It's like the only extra event. Correct. Um no. the other thing oh, no, no, no. there are there are team constructed GPs. There are three of those also. Right. Which is a legacy standard and modern event. Yeah. Do we know was... for sure that those are all standard modern legacy? Yes. Mm-hmm. They have they have announced that those those Grand Prix I think feed into the Team Pro Tour, which is also Legacy. Well, I want to just highlight that it's still only one year's worth of events, and I, I strongly believe that that is not going to continue. I, I definitely next agree. Year is, next year's 25th anniversary. Well, I'm telling you, I'm saying this more for our listeners. Don't forget, next year's 25th anniversary, so you might see some stuff kind of out of the ordinary. I know that um, Jason is, uh, he also sells a lot of casual cards to the people that come into his shop. And Sneak Attack is something that sells fairly well to my commander players. So I actually really like this call. Yeah. This is 
So something that could get reprinted in the next year in Iconic Masters or something like that. Um, I do like this card, and I like the spread looking at where it's at right now. By speculation. That's a good point. Between Iconic Masters and Masters 25, this seems like something they could slip in in the Mythic Rare slot again. I would sell so many more $12 sneak attacks than $30 sneak attacks. Oh, yeah. I I wouldn't even be mad if this, you know, got another reprint and really tanked. I could pick these up for like six bucks at draft night for a couple months and then throw them in my case for 13. I would be fine with that too. So long as I hadn't bought them at 20 on our advice. <laughs> uh, a lot uh, of... That's why we call it speculating. Yeah. Uh, speaking of um, quote unquote, uh, easy money specs, uh, treachery was something that was overpriced at every single vendor this weekend. Uh, the lowest price I saw was $19 for like a Ooh. lightly played copy. I'm glad I got all of mine in Vegas. Yeah, Doug was... uh, I talked to Doug for a while because his booth was pretty dead, as you'll find out on BSB later tonight. Uh, He's been selling foiled Japanese treacheries for $140 each, and they've been moving pretty well. So it's uh, something to keep an eye on. Yeah, he got them for himself. Uh, He also targeted this weekend, just like watching him snipe some stuff. He bought a bunch of Ayabugan expeditions at like $25, I want to say, and a couple other things like that. It was haggling all weekend because there wasn't much going on at the booth. (laughs) Uh, And then Kalia is going to continue uh, depressing. Uh, A lot of uh, people that had just come back from Kyoto brought a lot of... um, uh, cheap Japanese uh, EDH cards and cheap European EDH cards. Um, there was like hundreds of uh, Commander Anthologies Kalias in the room. I personally bought like 100 Commander Anthology Soul Rings, and I had the opportunity to buy 1,200 more, which I passed on. So 1,200? Yeah. What were they charging, uh, like a buck each or something? It was a dollar seventy-five for 100, and it was like a dollar fifty for like 1,300. And we sell them at three. We go through on average about 300 soul rings a month. Uh, so there's real demand for that card. So you, it was a dollar fifty for 1,200 soul rings. Why would you turn that down, Jeremy? Because I also bought 400 from a Japanese vendor who had also brought them back to the GP. You missed that. You missed that thing where he said a dollar fifty instead of each. Wait, what? You you said you said you paid a dollar. It was a dollar fifty for thirteen hundred soul rings, but you meant to say a dollar fifty each for thirteen hundred soul rings. I think that's implied. I know he's yeah. being dumb, and you didn't. You, you didn't made a Jeremy him. joke, and you just you can't even doesn't even register. This is what yeah. you do to people. Um, on top of that, though, uh, they're just like speaking about the GP this weekend. Most of the vendors were pretty subpar. Um, I'm. I actually have to like ask one of them. There's like some theft going on this weekend, which you'll probably hear about later, which is like not cool. Uh, there were only like three real players in the room, and there's uh, it was it was a pretty dead GP. I'm pretty happy to see pastimes. This is their second to last one. Um, it, it was have, just, have they said that? I the only ones on the schedule, if I remember correctly, are this one and then GP Indy, and then Channel Fireball takes over for next year, right? Unless they're okay. subcontracting it out. Pastimes is a pretty garbage TO, so I could, I could see yeah. You know, I, I don't know the CFB would contract that out. Yeah, so yeah, is Channel even allowed to do that? I feel like it would be in their contract that they're not allowed to subcontract that considering. Do they have three teams that could be on different continents? Yeah, because right. remember we had talked about this with Ed and uh, Doug that 
uh, like they can contract out Hiruya to run it, and then they'll like have staff there or stuff like that because Hiruya understands the Japanese scene. Same with like Mint or like for the Chinese GPs. Well, it's they might not. To, they might let them only contract out uh, off of U.S. soil. Like they right, might not so then contract here in America. So then the theory is that this would be pastimes last GP, and you've never—I don't know if you've been to one—but the Midwest players have been shafted for quite a while ever since uh, GP Oklahoma City, which was um, uh, Legion's last GP, I want to say. But they treated players much better than pastimes, in my opinion. There's one that's come through Toronto once or twice. It was garbage that people hated, and they got their last one like. Uh, a yearish ago, a year and a half ago, but I don't remember who it was. But it might have been pastimes. I'm not sure. It wasn't face to face. I've only and, ever been to one pastimes Grand Prix. It was Grand Prix Pittsburgh, and it was a shit show. So I'm not surprised that they're leaving. Was that I'm RTR? Really no, it was. Uh, it was like two years ago. It was a modern Grand Prix. They like oh. oversold it two days before the Grand Prix was supposed to start. And was like, that when I, you and Jen went? Yeah, well, that's her hometown, so we go often. But yeah, uh, that I was the one that. that I cashed because I, I came in thirtieth at Grand Prix. Yeah, I was there. Oh. That was bad. It was it was miserable. Everything took super long. Like they didn't have enough judges. Everything went past time. Uh, that's why um, they called them pastimes. Like yep. yeah, but like there were there got to be a point where I was playing Burn in in Modern and I finished my round in like. 20 25 minutes and then the round went 20 25 minutes past time and i was just like i wanted to die i didn't i didn't know what to do like i felt like i was gonna fall asleep in my chair waiting for the next round uh something that um i think as edh financed people are especially jason um cyclonic rift is starting to dry up overseas for the cheap price point that it was normally available at. I looked at a lot of uh, Chinese vendors, uh, Singapore vendors, Russian vendors, and Japanese vendors this weekend, and the sub $3 copies are pretty much gone everywhere. Well, that was what, Commander 2014? It's been a minute since that got reprinted. Uh, Modern Masters 2017. Which card? Oh, that's again? right. That's right. It was in that. Which card? Oh, did, my, did my internet go out? Cyclonic Rift. Oh, Rift. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if you heard that, but uh, well, Rift. I, I clearly heard you. So. Okay. Yeah. Rift is uh, Rift is going and uh, buy list on the floor. I ogred a bunch at three point five, even though we sell them in the shop. Like we just have too many, and like before, where you could have gotten them from Hariuya for two hundred and fifty yen and flipped them for three dollars on US buy list or like five bucks on TCG. The supply is starting to go away. So if this doesn't get hit in this year's commander set and like the wizard stack. That's something I would really like want to get now if you play Commander, assuming it doesn't get banned. The yeah, problem I, is, I would definitely wait and see if it gets reprinted. The pro yeah, the problem with Cyclonic Rift is the same th problem I have with like Lightning Greaves and Solemn Simulacrum is that you just know it's going to get reprinted over and over and over again. So if you're a store like you, like you can find time to to make money on the margins between buying at like two and three and selling at six. But for people like me, like there's just never a time to buy that card because it just shows up too frequently. I mean, it's only been printed three times in the last six years. So, so once every two years, I mean, once every two years is it, it, it's not good if you're if you're trying to sell them for more money, but it's good if you're trying to play with them. 
It's like sure. Path to Exile. It, it'll keep getting reprinted, but you can keep making money in between those slopes. And you can, because you have a dealer case. I don't think most of our listeners will ever... will They will rarely find the margins worth it. I mean, I just yeah. gave an example of arbitraging Hariuya on their Cyclonic Rifts. Yeah, but that's arbitrage. That's not picking them up low and then waiting and then selling them later. All right. Well, I mean, if they, if they get reprinted, you might have a chance to buy them in again. Buy them again, because because like how how low can they have how low can they go? Like another they can go down to like three bucks and they'll go back to six in a year. Like that won't be a year. Some of the be... some of the cards don't even really go down anymore. You look at something like Eternal Witness or Chromatic Lantern, they're like, yeah, this is getting a reprint. And a, but then they sort of man, I don't think anybody who puts together these precons has really any conception of what cards cost. Because if I were on that team, I would definitely be making some suggestions on cards that if they're not reprinted immediately, are basically just going to get priced out of ever being able to reprint it in a commander deck and probably get priced out of a lot of players' decks. But they don't... I mean, I they, as they much as they... Just, sorry, go ahead. No, you, no, you, tell me your point. No, I was just going to say, like, I think that they they need to, un, like unshackle the idea that if cards or if decks are more than msrp by too much that they'll just fly off the shelves and people won't be able to get them because it really doesn't happen unless there's a new card that people can't get anywhere else like true name nemesis yeah like nobody was rushing out to buy the attraxa deck because it had a colonial hydra in it they were buying it because they wanted the attraxa and the deep blow skate well i think the the red deck sold the best at first because of uh worm coil engine despite the fact that well they thought it would be dual caster mage that made that deck uh fly off the shelf and it wasn't and then um you know later everyone's like containment priest and then ever later than that everyone's like wait every elf in this deck is three dollars so it just something, it like went through cycles something else that i think jason hit on that i don't think many people remember is people criminally underpriced chromatic lantern on its first reprint when uh it first came out you could get chromatic lanterns for about five dollars and i think the whole mtg community did a double take and then you the next thing you knew it had gone up 50 percent overnight uh so that's something where with how every joe schmo is selling on tcg player with like two feedback uh you can snipe some of those the weekend that they come out and especially if it's something like Chromatic Iron again, uh, I think there's definitely room for opportunity. I mean, you look at uh, Psychonic Rift, it was like $1.52 $2 on Modern Masters on the, the week after the reprint. And uh, I think we all called Modern Master staples rising wrong. I personally was waiting longer to pick stuff up, and those rebounded faster than I thought they would. Yeah, I wonder if people just didn't play drafts of that because if a set doesn't get drafted it, it makes it really tough to get as many singles out that first weekend because like the the dealers do a lot of opening but i think people open more than they would normally if they end up drafting the set and i don't think people wanted to pay 40 dollars to draft modern masters well especially the latest one i don't know like the original one people love to draft but did anyone draft modern masters 3 like beyond you yeah. played blue or you lost you had dimrova horror or you basically lost it was oh, yeah, very, very interesting that. format yeah i mean yeah that one seems like it was by far the least drafted i think the cards in it were just the least powerful like they were the closest we could have gotten to like modern day draft sets and I think that was like the big problem there is like it wasn't enough different than anything else 
they downgraded one of the best uncommons to a common, and then everyone lost to it. Jim, you want to give away that credit? I'd love to give away that credit. So this week, our winner is Geo Angle. And uh, Geo, just send me a message on Facebook or Twitter or my Twitter or Cartel Twitter or email us at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com. And then I will hook you up with your sweet store credit. But the question he asks is, when you talk about bringing up cash to events, do you mean actual bills? If you do, uh, if you do, if so, do you do people take credit or debit on the floor? Um, yes, but they ask for three percent more. I ha it depends on who you go to. Uh, some vendors will take credit cards and it won't be a big deal. Sometimes they'll ask you for you to pay the fees, which is like three percent. And some of them will just tell you, no, we don't take card at all. So it really depends on uh, where you're going, who you want to buy cards from. Um, for example, the 95 MTG slash Haruya booth will only take cash because they're just buying and selling cards all weekend. Um, but cool stuff will take credit if that's your credit card if you want. So uh, it really depends on what you're trying to buy and who you're trying to buy it from. If you take bills, you cannot go wrong. However, if you can use your card and not pay extra, then obviously that saves you money in the long run because you get whatever benefits from your credit card. So uh, I would bring whatever cash you want to spend for cards and then figure out which booth you want to buy from and ask them if they take card. But or sell stuff have to bring cash. You buy. Like if you uh, that's also true. Cash, just, just sell stuff. And uh, trade-in bonuses are a nice way to do that. It's It's neither cash nor card, really, because you end up just getting rid of a bunch of stuff and then you take a little less of that buy list hit if you get a trade-in bonus. You know, so you're getting a little bit more of the value of the card that way. Yes, if you go to our sponsors with CoolStuffInc.com, they give you a 30% trade-in bonus if you trade in them at a Grand Prix, as opposed to the 25% that they normally give online. So it's an even better deal if you bring it to them in person. That's something that I arbitraged this weekend for sure. Uh, cool Stuff was giving 225 on Ashnod's altars in trade, and uh, Channel Fireball was giving $20 in trade on all his dust which uh, you could really use to your advantage to pick up some stuff. It was basically like trading at 90% of mid to a vendor. It's pretty solid. Yeah, if yeah. you actually want to run the full gambit, you can trade in cards to cool stuff, get store credit, take it home and buy it with the, on your account. If you use your account, you'll get the uh, customer loyalty bonus as well. I know I want to like talk about how much I love that customer loyalty bonus because that was like one of the first things I ever did gaming MTG finance was like getting that bonus up as high as I could by having all my friends buy their cases through me. But like now I just sound like a shill because I write for Gathering Magic and everyone's like, yeah, well, you're just saying that. But like literally that was one of the first sites I ever bought from because we just dis discovered that you could crank up that uh that percentage discount just by buying all of our cases from the same site, even if it costs a little bit more than some other sites. Uh, and I have fond memories of uh, gaming that. So whatever. I sound like a shill. I don't care. Can we talk about how Haruya's customer loyalty rewards are absolute garbage? <laughs> it's like 1%, I think. I embarrassed about how much money I have spent at that website and I still have virtually no credit there. You're still paying way cheaper than you are for English cards. Yeah, that's what and, it is. In TCG. Like, 
Something that uh, we discussed, uh, Doug, myself, Ed, and some other people this weekend, I think Corbin was super busy, but he looked happy. Um, like, you're a typical, you're a typical uh, MTG financier, Travis. Like, no matter how good the deal is, you're still going to find a way to complain about it. Mm, sure. I'm not going to complain about the 15% off that I get on singles because I've purchased from Cool Stuff Inc. for the last uh, six years. I've lived in Florida, so if you're if you're looking to get stuff, if you're going to buy uh, if you're going to buy list cards, do it at the Grand Prix, take it home, then you can pre-order some cards from Cool Stuff for the next set. They always do pre-orders pretty early, so I don't know, man. It's just a great deal all around. All right, well, my phone's about to die, so I'm going to get out of here. Uh, good luck with the rest of the cast. I got to still make it back tonight, which is going to take a while. Uh, shout out to Robert Zakek, who's a Brainstorm Brewery fan, that uh, <laughs> saw me at, uh, uh, where was it, Minneapolis, and completely misinterpreted our meeting. But uh, I guess you're listening to this for the first time, so thanks for listening. And uh, Colin M., who, like, Came to the cast hangout at GP Vegas. Uh, saw him playing vintage all weekend and talked a bit. But uh, yeah, so we really appreciate our listeners interacting with us. All right, and shout out to Jeremy for coming on the cast and not dropping a single pun and then leaving. You are the real MVP. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was saying now, quick, kick him out before he has a chance to. <laughs> no, no, he definitely went in. He probably heard what I said. That's ideal. That's what you want. You want Jeremy for roughly half the time of the cast and then no puns. Yeah. All, that, right, that all was, right. All right. <laughs> oh, yes. I no. I completely you. agree. I completely agree. All right, you just don't want to. You don't want to kick a man while he's not here. Uh. No. I'm completely okay. Are we trashing Jeremy? That's fine. I'm in for that. Oh. Okay. You just want to move on and talk about things that people might tall, care about. Bald and ugly. Um. Yeah. Uh. Let's get into picks of the week. Why don't you go to start it, Jim? Oh. Well, I can't pick sneak attack now because I was trying to already pick sneak attack, but. Um, I don't know, it. man. I'm I'm like, I'm really I'm really looking forward to the equipment cards or like the equipment searchers that they're not going to reprint. So um, my pick is really depending on what they spoil for the rest of the week or is, is in the cat deck. Uh, if Stone Hero Giant, Stoneforge Mystic, or Steel Shaper's Gift are not in the decks, uh, those are probably the first things I'm going to buy. In a similar vein, I really like Conda's banner. Should that not get reprinted, um, that's like six, seven bucks right now. But like that's that's giving you a a plus one, plus one to all the cats that are the the same color, and another plus one, plus one for sharing the color. So the it gives you one one for type and one one for color, and uh, you got a lot of equipment searching in this cat deck. And I like if if you're if you're generating any tokens with your carousel or you're waiting in the weeds or you're uh, White Sun Zenith or your what have you. So I think that's a card that could actually go up. I th I will mention one card that um, I think uh, a lot of people have forgotten about and is actually going to be really good is Jedit Ojanin of Afrava. It's like a dollar. You know, it's a bulk rare from uh, from Planar Chaos. But this is uh, whenever it attacks or blocks, you put a two-two green cat warrior token with forest walk into play, and it's got forest walk itself. So in EDH, you're connected with that uh, quite a lot. Now, this is a deck that didn't really get built around a ton just because, I don't know, it's just kind of dirtily. Um, you're paying six mana for a 5-5 five, five Forest Walk, but 
I think in a, in a four-player game, you're going to have someone that you can attack. And uh, I think if you're playing green cats, being able to generate cat tokens is good because as much as we like to be able to do that, there aren't too many cards that do that. There's like a handful, and then one of them is fire cat blitz, and you can't even play that in a green-white deck. So I think this is one of the cat token producing cards that everyone's forgotten about. Um, you know, it's like, it's a bulk rare and I think it's got some upside. Yeah. I actually snagged a handful of those when I placed an order, when cats were revealed, not too many, a couple foils, but yeah, I, that was solid, especially cause it's, uh, so old and the forest walk. I have one pick this week. It is so juicy, so juicy, but I wrote about it in my article today and it's still under the paywall so i'm not going to talk about it so if you want it you got to go look for it there or catch it in two days when i unlock the article um for this cast i am going to go with sort of feast and famine i don't think they're going to put it in the in the tribal decks here um, but with this up with the equipment sub theme on cats it's like the very first equipment you reach for right gets through most of the creatures that want to block. Um, the effect is the most useful in EDH because you get to untap all your lands. You The modern event deck brought prices down a while ago. It's now around 20. You can find a couple copies cheaper than that. Um, between that and the modern master or yeah, it was a modern event deck and new Frexia. I don't think they put that one in the modern masters. I'd have to double check, but there's like, there's, there's a supply out there, but it's not really large. Um, and if like a hundred people who buy these decks decide they want sort of feast and famines, they're going to drain a huge volume of the, of the available inventory. So it's like, it's like 20 bucks right now, but I think this could easily be 30 and probably hit like 40 bucks. Cause the swords used to be like 50 and $60 way back when. So as long as this doesn't see a reprint, I think this is set for between 30 and 45. Uh, to clarify, it is from Mirrodin Besiege, not from New Phyrexia. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Same block. There are two promo printings as well. Yeah, but those are, I mean, you're right. And they're, they're I guess, a different category, I think. Um, and if you didn't notice, by the way, the masterpiece on that jumped. And the yeah, price I was jumped. I going to say that. It popped this week. And it jumped for real. I sold two copies at $140 in the last 24 hours. That's like not a real. I don't understand how like the vol jumped recently. Can we can we talk about that for a little bit? What is going on? Why like are people just waking up to the fact that they're not making any more masterpieces and that makes them more desirable? Is that like the real thing that's happening here? Hey, Jim, I you think so you apparently haven't been listening to Fast Finance for the last two months. <laughs> well, I mean, like I understand the the trend is that people have been purchasing them because of just expeditions or, or masterpieces in general because they keep going up like the next one just keeps going up it's just a trend like it's almost impossible to lose money at this point on this kind of stuff but so at the end result is somebody has to buy it and put it in their deck where are yeah, these people I, coming from yeah i mean they're coming they're all these edh players <sighs> sorry so ed hit on this very well on this cast a while ago. I think it was on this cast. I don't know. Maybe it was in a private conversation we all had at some other point. But Ed made the comment that people don't realize just how few of these things there are, and they're not coming back. And the most copies of these you will ever see on the market is right now. And that is going to be true every day um, because you're going to see them slowly all sell out, and then there won't be any left, and then that'll be it. Um, and EDH has rapidly become the place where a lot of players store the value of their collection. Um, they build a lot of EDH decks. They're okay 
shelling out for big, cool cards because they know that most of the time they'll hold value and they'll look cool. And it be it sort of merges that like cat and franchise player slash collector and like casual player. Um, there's there's basically there's a there's a real market for these things and there's not going to be any more. So the so all of these copies disappearing are buyouts but they're predicated on real demand. As we see from the fact that even after the buyouts happen, most of them still sell through. Uh, again, Sword of Feast and Famine masterpieces were like 80 bucks, I think, before this weekend. And I've sold two at 140 in 24 hours. And I'm not telling you that because I'm like, oh, look at me how much money I made. It's like, no, people are buying these cards. Like they will pay this money for them. And Soul Rings at 200, yep, sell those too. Yeah, I think people were sort of like treating them like dirt for a while just because they're like well there's going to be one of these in every single set so and then they announce it like hey we realize we're overdoing it i think it makes them a little more special if you know that they're not going to get to an artifact block next year and reprint soul ring and sword and all that stuff uh, over again with a new art new border but still the same cards yeah i think uh, i think that signaled that like look we're gonna take a lot longer to run out of stuff and have to repeat if we don't do it as often yeah, and James hit on it too when he commented on the fact that um, Expeditions had such a slow start that everyone slept on these. Like everyone with buying power was like, ah, I'm going to stay away because we got we were super excited about Expeditions and we all got burned on them, so we're not going to get in on the on Inventions. And then it turned out the Inventions were actually popular. So that you had a much slower start on them, which gave you time to buy in if you were kind of really early on it. I think everyone just sort of had to agree that we were doing it, and it, it took a while for people to signal to other people that they were doing it versus if I bought all the core havens, I'm not sure anybody would notice. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it, it required some... I, I don't want to say, like, cohesion or collusion because that's not what it was, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it had to become aware. But, you know, with any with any group of cards, it gets bought out um, or, or, yeah, it gets dis disappears from the market. If the real demand isn't there eventually the card will find its natural floor unless you literally own 100% of the copies, which nobody does. So uh, the fact that these things are still selling through means that, you know, the price change, we catalyzed it essentially, but we did not make the price any higher than it would have been six months or a year from now anyways. But, okay, Jim, do you want to take us out? Uh, I guess so. So uh, we've covered a lot of stuff this week. Uh, if you're looking to win the cool stuff store credit next week, you can post a question on our uh, post that should go up in the next day or two on gatheringmagic.com and you will be entered to win it the next week. Uh, my name is Jim Kasai. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find my articles every other week on Gathering Magic and every week on Quiet Speculation. Uh, Travis, where can everyone find you? My name is Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpinbumpin. I write every Monday on MTG Price. I do the MTG Fast Finance podcast that releases usually on Thursdays. If you like playing magic, check out scry.land. Find magic events in your area. It's international, PPTQs, GPs, that type of stuff. And thank you to whoever just bought three Venge Vines at $21. I have been holding on to those for three years, and I am so glad that deck got a deck tech at Syracuse. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, Jason, where can people find you? I am findable on the Twitters at Jason E. Alt. 
I'm on Facebook and Reddit. I'm usually hanging out in the MTG Finance or Hockey subreddits. Uh, I write for Gathering Magic every single Thursday. I write an EDH column there. I write for MTG Price. My article is behind the paywall from Tuesday and it becomes free to everybody on Thursday. I'm a member of the Brainstorm Brewery and Money Draft podcasts, and I'm the content manager for EDHREC.com. Man, is Money Draft ever going to make another episode? Uh, we just released an episode recorded about a month ago in the last day or two. So there's I'm a new not, Money Draft up. I'm not sure I believe you. It's uh, Go to BrainstormBrewery.com to see the latest Money Draft episode. Also, uh, on Saturday... JR, Marcel, and I recorded an episode of uh, After Hours. So it, it kind of felt like a money draft, except no Slick Jagger. The rhetoric was very strong, and we talked about all kind of uh, non-magic issues. Okay. Well, I will be sure to tune in. Uh, thanks, everyone, that joined us today and everyone listening on all of our other platforms. Uh, you'll hopefully be able to find us next week on our usual day on our usual time.